Hey everyone, we're continuing in our series called Wherever You Go, where we've been looking at the great stories from the books of Moses and how they teach us today. We left off last week with Moses returning to Egypt, sent by God to save the Israelites from slavery. This week we're going to be looking at the story of the Exodus, the escape from Egypt. Before we get in, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your Bible is alive and active, that your spirit speaks to us when we read it, Lord. Thank you that there's always something new to discover when we open your word, God. I pray that I would be filled with your spirit as I speak your word, Lord, that these would be your words and not mine, that your, your words, your seed would go deep into the hearts in which it is sown. I pray that we would be good soil. In your name we pray. Amen. So the Exodus is one of the best stories in the whole Bible. It is dramatic, it's full of characters, it's full of powerful acts of God, it's got a great bad guy, it's got a relatable hero, it's got high stakes and great rewards. This story has been put to screen on several occasions, probably the most well-known being the movie The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston. Most recently, this story featured in the 2014 movie Exodus, Gods and Kings, starring Christian Bale in the role of Moses. Both are fun and riveting films, but both also fall short of what we would consider a faithful adaptation. If you want my recommendation for the best Exodus movie, I would recommend 1998's The Prince of Egypt. Although it's an animated movie, it's full of big-name voices, wonderful music, and spectacular visuals. And I think it's the most faithful to the source material. So go watch that. I'm just kidding. We've still got a sermon to do here. So not only is the story of the Exodus one of the most fun stories in the Bible, but it's also one of the most foundational. It comes up again and again. Just type into any Bible app, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, and you'll see what I mean. It's how God identifies himself in Numbers and Leviticus. It's all over in Deuteronomy. It's in Joshua. It's in Judges. It's in, it's in, ooh, excuse me. It's in Samuel. It's in the Psalms. It's all over the prophets. I could go on, but instead I think I'll just read Psalm 81 to give you an example. Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon, and when the moon is full on the day of our festival, this is a decree of Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, he established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress, you called, and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any god other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. So I think the only event that we can really compare the Exodus to is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Well, Really, the correct way to think about it is that the Exodus is the shadow, and that the passion of Jesus is the real thing. But in terms of identity-shaping events, it might be the only comparable. The Exodus, God rescuing the Israelites from slavery, forms the foundation of Jewish identity. 
as Christians, this story is less crucial for understanding our identity, since that springs fundamentally from the death and resurrection of Jesus. But this is important as a secondary and for understanding much of the context of Scripture. So let's get into our story for today. As I said, we pick up in Exodus 5 with Moses having just come back to Egypt with the stated goal of bringing the people of Israel out of slavery. Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he relays God's message, let my people go. To which Pharaoh is like, no. And then Pharaoh decides that the Hebrews must have too much time on their hands. If they have time to come up with stories like this to think about leaving, then they must not be busy enough. Sounds like some managers I used to have as a teenager. So he increases their workload. Let's read a bit. Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 22. We're going to read into chapter 6, verse 12. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Moses, it's been like one day. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession." I am the Lord. That is a killer speech. Like, I'm pumped. Are you pumped? That speech, that speech is like, like watching the Jets sweep the Oilers in triple overtime, right? Like, whew, that's a good one. But look at the response. Verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you know that you need to depend on God? Where you know that what you really need is to get into his presence and be encouraged? But your circumstances feel like they're just crushing the joy right out of you? Or maybe it's not the circumstances. Maybe it's your own inadequacies that make you feel unable to walk in God's light. That's a really hard spot to be in. And there's no easy answer. But God is big enough for all your doubt. God can handle your fears. God can handle your questions. But we have to keep going to him. That is the only solution. Well, let's get back to our story. God commands it, so Moses and Aaron go back to Pharaoh, and they deliver that line once again, let my people go. And this time, they have a miracle fight! It's kind of like breakdance fighting, except not at all. 
Aaron's staff turns into a serpent, but Pharaoh's sorcerers are able to do the same thing, so Pharaoh isn't really convinced. And the next day, they meet the king by the Nile River. Aaron stretches out his staff over the river and all the water of Egypt, and it all turns to blood. This is the first of the ten plagues. The magicians are also able to do this, apparently. And this blood water lasts for a week. Then God sends a plague of frogs. And again, the magicians are also able to summon frogs onto Egypt. Which, like, to me, that's, that's hilarious. Like, if the challenge is, I can burn down your house, the appropriate response is not, not if I can burn it down first, right? Like, why would the response to Moses be to summon more frogs? Aren't, aren't they making the problem worse? Aren't you just messing up the country even further? And I, I think Pharaoh recognizes this because he's less, he's less combative towards Moses. His response is, hey, would you pray to the Lord for me for relief from these frogs? And Moses does. But like a toddler who got dessert before finishing his dinner, Pharaoh changes his mind and decides not to eat his vegetables after all. This is the last ride of the sorcerers, though, because next is a plague of gnats, and they are unable to duplicate this one. They even tell Pharaoh that this really is God doing these things. Seven more plagues follow. A plague of flies, a plague that kills their livestock, boils on their skin, hail, locusts. Then God sends a plague of darkness, where the sun is hidden from the whole land for three days. But the Israelites have been unaffected by all the plagues. And it's worth pointing out that these plagues have been a systematic attack by God on the religious practices of the Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians worshipped the Nile. God turned it to blood. The Nile fertilizes and grows and allows their crops. God destroyed their crops. They worshipped various gods of livestock. God destroyed their livestock. Their greatest deity, known as Ra, was the sun god. And what does Yahweh, the god of the Hebrews, do? He blots out the sun. God is saying, your gods are nothing. I am the Lord, Yahweh of armies. There is none like me. There is none beside me. And you shall have no other gods before me. The last plague, because Pharaoh still will not acknowledge God, is to be a plague on the firstborn of Egypt. And this plague was different from the nine that came before, in that in order for Israel to escape this one, they would need to act in faith. All the previous plagues that had, all the previous plagues had been avoided simply by virtue of their identity, just by being Israelites. But for this one, they were going to have to make that acknowledgement themselves. And here, more than anywhere else in the story, we see the parallels to Jesus. How the story of the Exodus is the foreshadowing of what God would do in Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus, cries out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Gospel again makes the parallel in these famous verses in John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So, 
According to the instructions God gives, they slaughter a lamb and they paint their door frames with its blood, causing the Lord to pass over the homes of the Israelites and spare their children. But the homes of the Egyptians are not so protected. Mirroring the treatment of the Hebrews by the Egyptians when they destroyed a generation of boys and almost got Moses, the Egyptians lose the firstborn of each family. God's justice is swift, it is sure, and it is unbearable. Who can stand before the righteous wrath of the Lord? This is uncomfortable, but it's true. This, this isn't the sort of message that's very popular to be preached today. We're, we're not really about the wrath of God, but it's true. And we can't, we can't forget what Jesus has actually done for us. All of humanity stands condemned before a good God. We've sinned and fallen short. We're guilty. And only by an act of faith in a God who is good when all men are evil can we be saved. And at this, finally, the Pharaoh breaks. Finally comes the word that Israel has been waiting to hear. Go. Let's read a bit from Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 to 36. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Egypt's part to play in this story is not quite over, unfortunately. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has laid waste to Egypt's religion, her economy, her people. But there is one thing this great kingdom still has. Military power. And that can be a problem. But God is going to deal with that too. He leads the people to the edge of the Red Sea. And we have the great climax of the Exodus narrative. Here, the conflict between the Pharaoh and God through Moses comes to its final head. We start reading in Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zaphon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself, through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Pharaoh takes the bait, and he meets them in the desert. His great army of chariots, cavalry, and infantry chase after the Israelites and corner them. But the Egyptians are about to discover something that Isaiah writes down many centuries later in the 52nd chapter and 12th verse of his book, that it is the Lord who goes before us, and it is God who is our rear guard. Exodus 14, starting in verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water, 
so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Israelites will know that I am, or the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. There's so much for us to learn from this one story. We've talked today about Exodus chapters 5 through 14, just 10 chapters of the Bible. In my Bible, it's only 10 pages, but we could spend a long time here. We've seen how God demands loyalty, but also how God protects, how God saves, how God provides a way from the judgment that we so deserve. Moses and the Israelites are a long way from where they're supposed to be. And they've been away for a long time. And yet, despite their failings and their fears and everything they're, they're going to go through yet, the Lord is with them and will also be with you wherever you go. Amen.